I want us to focus uh, our minds particularly this morning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I would assume this morning that all of us desire to be part of the kingdom of heaven. The question is, on what grounds does our hopes or our confidence rest? Charles Wesley, great hymn writer and preacher as well, brother uh, of John Wesley, Charles Wesley in his lifetime wrote something in the region of 6,500 hymns. And that works out, I understand, an average of one every three days for the 50 years that he wrote hymns. You might wonder what else was he doing, but um, he was a very uh, clever, very learned man, and he was, of course, a very spirit-filled man. But before his conversion, um, a Moravian Christian, Peter Bowler, uh, was uh, sharing with him, and he said, to, he said to Charles Wesley, do you hope to be saved? And Wesley said, I do. So Bowler asked him, on what grounds then? And Wesley answered, on the grounds that I have used my best endeavors to serve God. He was discovered to discover after that conversation that that, in fact, would never give him access to the kingdom of God. And shortly after that, he was truly converted. He wrote that hymn that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? It couldn't be any more important question for any of us. Can it be that I should gain an interest? Now, that doesn't mean to, to know about uh, the Savior's sacrifice, but interest in the, in the sense of, can I have any benefit? Can I have some share? Can, is there any investment for me in the blood of the Savior? It's an important question, and eternal issues hang upon it. And my response, or your response, to the challenge of that question will, in fact, determine our eternal destiny. Wesley's question, is it possible that I should become a beneficiary of Jesus' blood, that is, of his self-sacrifice on Calvary? No greater question that we could face. No more important issue that we need to settle. Of course, there are many who believe that they have such an interest, such benefit from the sacrifice of Christ, but often it's ill-founded. There are many who hope to have such an interest, but often it's grounded in themselves. 
There are many who assume that they have, but there's no solid foundation for their assumptions. And alas, there are many who don't give a toss anyway. But there are some, thank God, who are assured that they have such benefit from the sacrifice of Christ. And only that should satisfy us. Only that will really do to be assured. And that that assurance that we have will be firmly grounded on the unshakable word of God. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 12, says this. He says, I know whom I have believed. Speaking of Christ. He says, I know not what I have believed, but whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep until that day, the day of his return, what he has entrusted to me. And it's a reference there to the gospel entrusted to Paul. But actually, in the original Greek language, that can also read, what I have entrusted to him. In other words, his very life and his very being. And actually, the principle is the same anyway. Or when he, he was writing to uh, the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, For we know, speaking to the believers in Corinth, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that is, our physical body, if the earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We know, he says. Here indeed we groan and long to put on our heavenly dwelling, so that by putting it on we may not be found naked. While we are still in this tent, this body, we sigh with anxiety. Not that we would be unclothed. He didn't have a death wish, in other words. But that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We need the same kind of persuasion, the same certainty. And my prayer is that the Lord may grant to us such a certainty. Jesus said, Matthew 5 and 10, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now in Jesus' day, if any class of people, any group of people could conceivably lay claim to righteousness, then the scribes and the Pharisees were top contenders. That is, in most people's estimation, and certainly in their own estimation. Jesus confirms that general perception, remember, in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican going up to the temple, and how the Pharisee stood out where he could be seen, and so on, and he said, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give of all I get, and so on. But who was it that went down from the temple justified? It was the man who stood humbly in the corner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, these men, scribes and Pharisees, were meticulous law keepers. And they were quick to seize every opportunity to challenge Jesus, whom they regarded as a blasphemer and a lawbreaker, healing on the Sabbath, going through the cornfields and, and eating of the ears of corn and so on. These were some of the silly regulations. And there were hundreds of them that the scribes and the Pharisees had put together. But Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 17, do not believe, do not consider, do not imagine that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished, and whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That was music to the ears of the scribes and the Pharisees. But then having said that, you see how Jesus goes on, he says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Was Jesus closing the door of heaven to the poor, ordinary sinner? Is he moreover closing the door of heaven to those righteous scribes and Pharisees? It looks very like it. But things are not always as they appear at first sight or on first hearing. Well might Jesus' hearers have asked the question then, then who can be saved? So let's address that question then here this morning. Jesus says in John's Gospel chapter 6 and verse 35, after he had fed the multitude on the hillside. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And him, that is anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, I will under no circumstances turn away. Now there you have every sinner's warranty that he or she may indeed have an interest in the Savior's blood. Every sinner's warranty that he or she may have benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every sinner. The pledge and the guarantee of Jesus himself, without exception, whatever one's background, whatever our perceived pedigree in life, or condition in life, be it the man who is the very top 
rung of society like Nicodemus in Jesus' day, or the one who is in the very pits like the prodigal son. And that's why Jesus fraternized with all classes of society. He fraternized with publicans and sinners, with Samaritans, the despised, with Gentiles, and with the scribes and the Pharisees too. There were no class or distinction of men outside the scope of Jesus' warranty. Anyone, he says, who comes to me, I will under no circumstances cast away. So how do we come to Jesus? Or when do we come to Jesus? Is it when we have attained an acceptable level of respectability, an acceptable standard of righteousness? When we have, like the scribes and the Pharisees, worked hard all our lives to get up to some standard that is acceptable to Jesus, that we bring to God and he's going to welcome us? Not at all. We come to Jesus as we are. That's the answer to the question as to how we come. We come just as we are. And we come to Jesus, we should come now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time, says the Lord. Some might say, well, I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too bad a sinner to come to Jesus. I've heard that said to me. I'm too great a sinner to come to Jesus. Well, if anyone's thinking that, all I can say is you're too bad to stay away from Jesus. So what is this business then of unless your righteousness exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God? Well, you see, that answers the question as to why. Why come to Jesus? Why Jesus? You see, I don't need and you don't need to be a righteous man or a righteous woman to come to Jesus for salvation. We come as we are. We come as sinners, every one of us. We don't need to be a righteous person to come to Jesus. But you and I do need to be a righteous people to enter heaven. Can I say that again? We don't need to be righteous to come to Jesus. But we do need to be righteous, perfectly righteous, to enter heaven. And that's why we need to come to Jesus in the first instance. For he alone can make us fit to enter the kingdom of God. You see, any old sinner, I may come to Jesus just as I am. A sinner condemned unclean, that's what I am by nature. And I may come to Jesus. But it's not any old sinner who can enter heaven. I cannot enter heaven just as I am a sinner condemned unclean. I can't do that. There's no place in heaven for, for sin. You see, I need, and we all need to be renewed. When Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds 
that of scribes and Pharisees, we might ask, by how much better must we be than they? And the answer is, we need to be perfect. Jesus says, in effect, only the perfectly perfect, the perfectly righteous, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some might say to me, well, surely I'm good enough as I am. No, you're not. Not by yourself. Not of yourself. That's why we need all of us to come to Jesus, to be made clean, to be washed, to be born again, to be saved. Charles Wesley had a hope that he had an interest in Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. But when he was confronted by that question, on what grounds? And he says, on the grounds of my best endeavors to serve him. No. I'm thankful he discovered that 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 was what was no foundation or no grounds. We need to be clothed in the garments of the righteousness of Christ Jesus alone. Listen to the words of the apostle again as recorded for us in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and from verse 4 it's the apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He grew up and was trained as a Pharisee. He was very good as a Pharisee if we think in terms of that goodness, his righteousness, his keeping of the law, so on. This is what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If any man thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, that is his own efforts, his own abilities and so on, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That was Paul's pedigree before his conversion. That's what he rested on. That's what he trusted in. His righteousness. But he says, whatever gain I had, that is from those things, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as refuge in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Can it be that you should gain an interest, benefit from the sacrifice of Christ? Of course it can. Of course it can be. But remember there's only one person who can guarantee you the glorious dividends of that investment in Christ and that one person is Jesus himself. He it is and he alone who issues every sinner's warranty. He it is who says anyone who comes to me I will under no circumstances turn 
away. We need to come in faith, in repentance to Jesus. But Jesus who issues the warranty to every sinner, the invitation to every sinner also issues the sinner's warning. In John's Gospel, chapter 14 and 6, Jesus said, you remember in that famous passage, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Peter on that a sermon, a day of Pentecost, maybe just after that particular day, in Acts chapter 4, is recorded. Peter was preaching and he was testifying before the Sanhedrin. That's a Jewish council full of scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. The very people that Jesus had been talking about. And before that Sanhedrin, Peter proclaims, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. Proclaiming and preaching the name of Jesus. The vital necessity to have Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. I'll just close with a reference to someone else. Quentin McGarrell Hogg. The name might mean nothing to you whatsoever, but... Uh, some of the older folks would have remembered him perhaps as Lord Hilsham. Now gone, now dead. He was the longest serving Lord High Chancellor uh, of his time, maybe of any time. And he held that office with immense distinction. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of Christian principle. He professed the Christian faith. And in his memoirs, he's writing concerning one of his best loved and ablest teachers of his school days. And this is what he says. I cannot end without a short tribute to his moral character. If ever there was a patriot and a man of integrity, it was he. He was not slow to teach his pupils the ideals of service to society owed by our educated men. Years later, I, I learned to my sorrow that he had no religious beliefs. This too has been a lesson to me. And this is what he says. If heroism counts for anything, he is sure of his place in heaven. If it were otherwise, there would be neither justice nor mercy in God's universe. And sadly, in that last comment, Lord Hilsham has undermined the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And he's rendered the cross of Calvary unnecessary as a waste of time. He possibly did not mean to do so. If heroism counts for anything, he is, assured, he is sure of his place in heaven. If it were otherwise, there would be neither justice nor mercy in God's universe. 
No. Neither heroism nor any other commendable virtue or trait of human character or all of them put together can ever count for anything insofar, insofar as our title to or assurance of heaven is concerned. We're not discounting these good things and these good traits of character. Would to God that they were seen in many more people, indeed in all of us, but there are no bases for any confidence of our place in glory. There are no bases. Our righteousness, our goodness is no basis. Can never be. Not heroism, nor anything else of the kind. I am the way, says Jesus. And no one comes to the Father except by me. That is by Jesus in his life. The old song goes, living he loved me. By Jesus in his death, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. By Jesus in his resurrection, rising he justified freely forever. No one comes except by me. That is by his perfect life of obedience by his atoning death on Calvary, by his glorious resurrection from the dead. Not heroism, nor anything else of the kind. But bankruptcy of spirit is what the Lord looks for. Blessed are the poor in spirit, says Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is those who recognize and understand and feel their bankruptcy of spirit. Who are conscious of their sinnerhood and that their sinnerhood bars them from even the least of the blessings of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven because they are looking away from themselves in their bankruptcy to the one who is rich in grace, rich in mercy, rich in salvation, to Jesus, bankrupt before God. How is it with you today? Conscious of your sinnerhood? Whether I'm talking to the unbeliever or the believer, are we all conscious of our sinnerhood in Adam? There's no good thing in us by nature. We are fallen creatures, but there is a man who has come, the eternal Son of God, taking flesh. He has lived a perfect life of obedience. He has died the perfect atoning death on Calvary, and his desire is that you and I might receive, as it were, on his account, and it might be accounted to us his perfect obedience and his atoning sacrifice that his righteousness his righteousness might be put to our credit there's nothing else for it we have no credit in and of ourselves it's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ so recognizing our bankruptcy before God by nature our bankruptcy in Adam our sinnerhood And our need to invest in the blood of Calvary. Have we done that? Have you done that? 
Have you invested in the blood of the Savior? Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that Christ has come. He's come to rescue, to redeem, to save, to gather in his people from every tongue and tribe and nation. He comes to us again and again through the word and by his spirit to to encourage us, to invite us, to command us, to exhort us to come to him. We pray, O God, today that your spirit will touch all our hearts, that we may come to Jesus in faith, maybe for the first time, but again and again as those who know him, come to him again and again to receive from him daily that grace that flows from the throne above, that we may find mercy, mercy afresh to cover all our sin, mercy each day, and may find grace in every time of our need. Grace appropriate to our situation. Grace sufficient for our day. For there is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby we may be saved. Grant us such grace today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.